Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our program, Catch, Release, and Then What? Please welcome Simon Hankinson, Senior Research Fellow in the Border Security and Immigration Center at the Heritage Foundation. Well, good morning. My name is Simon Hankinson. I'm a Senior Research Fellow at the Center for Border Security and Immigration. Welcome to Heritage and to this event, which I called Catch, Release, and Then What? Because I wanted to try to find out what would happen to the millions of people who have been let into the United States on President Biden's watch? I've actually visited the border twice in the year that I've been here at Heritage, which is uh, exactly two times as many as President Biden has in 50 years as an elected official. And I saw hundreds of people at one time in one place entering the country without any visa or apparent process that I could see. And I saw thousands of people being uh, processed through these, these tent cities, put on buses and planes and sent all over the country. And I started thinking, what's gonna happen to them all? And if you'll close your eyes and just imagine with me that in 2024, we elect a president of either party who believes in enforcing immigration law uh, and maybe appoints officials at Homeland Security who also believe in doing their jobs. And I do believe that the rank and file and the border patrol and customs and uh, ICE want to do their jobs, they want to be able to do what they're paid to do, what would it look like? How would an enforcement-minded administration uh, make things better than they are now? So I put together a panel of three experts with a lot more experience um, than I have on this, and I think very complimentary experience, and I'm looking forward to talking to them uh, about their views. But before we do that, I hope you'll bear with me for five minutes or so uh, to watch a short video that was put together mostly with footage that I took with my camera. Uh, so it's, it's pretty low quality, but the people here at Heritage uh, made it look a lot nicer than it was before. Just to give you an idea of what I saw, and in case you don't follow this issue closely, uh, just exactly what's happening down there. The U.S.-Mexico border is sparsely populated with a mixed and often hostile terrain of desert, mountain, farmland, and a few towns and cities. For as long as the United States of America and the United States of Mexico have been in existence, the border has been a vital conduit for trade. Thousands of people from both countries cross the border regularly to work, visit family, or do business. The border has always been vulnerable to smugglers and illegal crossers, but in the last two years, we have seen historically unprecedented illegal crossings of this border, mostly by people from far further than Mexico, like Peru, India, via Poland, and Cuba. This is the result of a deliberate policy of the Biden administration to end every program by previous administrations, both Republican and Democrat, that kept the border under control. Biden stopped border wall construction on his first day in office, leaving gaps and piles of unused materials. He ended agreements with Mexico and other countries that kept inadmissible aliens outside the U.S. while they received due process. Biden's DHS began releasing inadmissible immigrants in mass numbers. The word spread throughout the world at the speed of social media that the U.S. border was open. President Biden's decision to allow millions of unvetted, inadmissible aliens into the country, despite knowing that they will not qualify for asylum, has affected not just border communities, but the whole country. Nearly 2,000 people have died trying to cross into the U.S. illegally over the past two years. U.S. federal agents, as well as border state military and police, risk their lives every day. 
Morale in the Border Patrol is understandably low, and hiring is hard. Meanwhile, around 60,000 Americans die every year from opioid overdoses. Most are killed by fentanyl, all of which comes to the U.S. through Mexico. This is a big, national, and historic story. The U.S.-Mexico border is 2,000 miles long, but let's zoom in on just one small part of it, Yuma, Arizona. In Yuma, they grow 90% of the lettuce consumed in the U.S. during winter. Beyond these green fields is the Colorado River and a partially completed wall. Near the Morelos Dam is a gap in the wall where a gate was never finished. This is a preferred spot for hundreds of inadmissible aliens to cross every day. To make it even easier, DHS under the Biden administration has turned off or does not use some of the lights, sensors, and other electronic monitors already in place. The Morelos Gap sits next to the Cocopa Indian Reservation, which has only small steel barriers to stop vehicles, not people. In the daytime, you often won't see people at all, though you'll be able to find plenty of traces that they came through. They leave behind trash, coins, and documents showing that they come from all over the world. For some reason, even though they want to surrender to border agents, they don't want to use their real names or identity documents. Often, this is because they've already been granted asylum in another safe country before coming to the U.S., like this Venezuelan who had refugee status in Peru. There's not much to see during the day. The real activity starts when day turns to night. Illegal border crossers used to use homemade ladders, but now they just walk around the wall and give themselves up to the border patrol. They patiently wait in line, Border Patrol even gives them a luggage tag so that they can claim their bags later. On one typical night at around three in the morning, we met people from 16 different countries. None of these people have a visa to enter the US. Most of them are economic migrants looking for work as they will happily admit. Why did you all choose to come? Opportunities. Opportunities. Nonetheless, the Biden administration wants to let them all in, so they assume that they will all ask for asylum. Only about 15% of asylum claims are approved most of the current masses being released into the U.S., like these young men from India, won't qualify. They'd never have qualified for visas back home in India. Flying to Mexico and crossing into the U.S. illegally was a safer bet. Border Patrol puts inadmissible aliens on buses. DHS has rented fleets of buses. The aliens get sent to migrant processing camps run by DHS. DHS gives them a notice to appear in court one day to begin the proceedings that, in theory, would remove them. Sometimes, they just get a letter telling them to visit their most convenient ICE office. Then the aliens are sent to processing centers run by non-governmental organizations who are paid by federal grants. They're left to fend for themselves while they wait for their tickets out of town. Sometimes they get clothes and shoes from activists and charities. The NGOs then give them a plane or bus ticket paid for by taxpayers if the migrants have no money to go anywhere they want to go in the U.S. Americans need to fly using a real ID that asks you to prove who you are. Illegal aliens released into the country can travel with only their arrest document from DHS. At the same time, around a million and a half more people have entered the country without surrendering to customs or being arrested by Border Patrol. Some are brought across the desert and hide out in places like this while waiting for their ride. Then they're driven north into U.S. cities. This travel makes alien smugglers, known as coyotes, very rich. U.S. agents have signs that over 1.5 million of these gotaways have entered, but we have no idea who they are or where they went. In fact, they're increasing the number of people allowed to apply for parole using their CBP-1 phone application, and they're busily inventing new parole programs in violation of both the law and congressional intent. Never before in U.S. history have so many inadmissible aliens been allowed to enter the country in so short a time. The estimated costs to American communities for education, health care, housing, and social services are over $150 billion, but there are plenty of other costs that can't be counted in money. What happens now? So to help me 
ask that question and maybe come up with some answers, I'd like to welcome our panel. First, we have uh, Andrew Art Arthur, a resident fellow in law and policy at the Center for Immigration Studies, and more importantly, a former immigration judge. Next to him, Tom Homan, who is a visiting fellow here at Heritage, uh, a former uh, director of ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, and who has a long uh, career in law enforcement. And next to him, Mr. Don Rosenberg, who is the president of the Advocates for Victims of Illegal Alien Crime, or AVIAC. Gentlemen, if you'd join me on stage, please. Tom, I'd like to start with you. Um, what we saw there, what we see every day, if we watch the right TV channels, is, is this normal? Could you put it into some kind of historical context for us? No, it's not normal. Um, under the last administration of President Trump, and look, like him, love him, don't, you know, regardless what your opinion is on President Trump, you can't argue the success of his administration with the border security, right? We had the illegal immigration was down 83%. As much as 90, depending on what time frame you looked at, but 83% on average, 45-year law. Unprecedented. Unprecedented by any president. I've worked with six presidents, starting with Ronald Reagan. Every president took border security seriously because they understood you can't have national security if you border security. No one did more than President Trump to secure our border. That's just, you can go to cbp.gov, look at the data. This isn't my opinion. This is based on raw data. Great success, unprecedented. Joe Biden's the first president in history of this country who came in office and unsecured the border. He unsecured the border. He wrote over 90 executive orders, abolishing pretty much everything we did in the Trump administration. You went from the most secure border to historic illegal immigration within months. Not by accident, not by mismanagement, not by incompetence, by design. They meant to do this. They know exactly what they're doing. He signed the 90 executive order. So what we see today it's just incredible. It's, it's a lawless border. And now the, now the, the, the DHS claims they've had success because they, they decreased the illegal entries. Well, no kidding. Because they're, they're moving thousands through the port of entry that well, they will lose in court if, if the judge bases on, on the pro statute. I'm not a lawyer, but I can read. I know what the pro statute says. They've reported over half a million people in the country that we know of. When I was ICE director for a year and a half, you know how many pros I did? I think I did three. <laughs> three. They did over half a million that we know of. They're, they're abusing the parole statute so they can move people to the port of entry, CBP one app and other, other ways. That way they can claim illegal encounters are down and they claim victory. First of all, Border Patrol still resting. I think the other day they had over 5,000. You add that to the thousands they're bringing through a port of entry, the numbers are still historic. They're just, it's a shell game. And, and, as, and, as, and as long as they continue doing this, as long as there's no consequence or deterrence to entry this country illegally, they're gonna keep coming. Why wouldn't they? Well, that actually brings me to the, the next question, which is about the legal aspect. Uh, can you help us understand, Art, what, what's actually happening to those people that we saw lining up? I was under the impression uh, that if you arrived in this country illegally, you were supposed to be detained. That's exactly what the Immigration Nationality Act says and has, <coughs> says, uh, has said in the case of aliens at the port since 1903 with respect to the rest of them since 1996. They're supposed to be detained from the moment that they're apprehended into the point at which they're either granted asylum 
or released from the United States. You mentioned I was an immigration judge. I was an immigration judge at a detained court in York, Pennsylvania. They would bring people up to York, they would put them uh, in the York County Jail, and I would hear their cases there. That was under Obama, to Tom's point. This isn't, you know, a Republican-Democrat thing. This is Joe Biden against everybody else. When they release them, they release them under two authorities. Parole, as Tom had mentioned before, which is supposed to only be used in the case of somebody who needs emergency medical treatment or is a material witness in a criminal case in the United States. The Biden administration has paroled 1.4 million people on a case-by-case basis uh, completely outside of those parameters. And I'm not making up those parameters. The former INS back in 1982 said that's what Congress intended the parole uh, authority uh, for. And again, 890,000 people uh, of those people actually came in through the ports or were apprehended at the borders. The other way that they're releasing them is under Section 236A of the INA, which is the general arrest authority and release authority in uh, federal law with respect to immigration. That only applies in the case of somebody who's arrested on a warrant. It's not going to surprise you. Those Border Patrol agents aren't, you know, down there with warrants, you know, asking, you know, who's Simon? Hey, Simon, I got your uh, arrest warrant here. They're completely abusing that arrest warrant authority and then releasing those people on their own recognizance. The only time that you release anybody on their own recognizance is if they're not a danger to the United States and they're not a flight risk, which brings me to the next point. And, of course, they're all flight risk because they all entered the United States illegally. But with respect to whether they pose a danger to the United States, Border Patrol really doesn't know. CBP at the ports don't know because they only have access to U.S. Uh, uh, information databases, uh, you know, CLETS, uh, NCIC, things like that, that they can check. They might have some foreign information. And I uh, refer you to the case of a Brazilian who was arrested in Somerset, Massachusetts a couple of months back. He had actually been apprehended at the San Luis, uh, uh, at the border at San Luis, Arizona. He was convicted of murder in Brazil. He had been uh, arrested in, uh, in connection with the assault on a Brazilian police officer, and he was a member of Brazil's largest cartel. They released this guy to the United States because they didn't know anything about it, but you don't have to trust me on this. Judge T. Ken Weatherell II, in a decision that he issued in Florida versus United States back on March the 8th, said they really don't know anything at all about the people who are being released in this country. Well, that seems a good uh, segue to ask Don. If we take a given population of people, say, you know, 10,000 released, every population has a percentage of people with criminal records, and we don't know what these criminal records are. What's the impact from AVX perspective on American communities from releasing thousands of people, some of whom are recidivist criminals? Well, the, you know, and my impact just, you know, where I'm coming from, from advocates and victims of illegal alien crime, is my son was killed 13 years ago by an illegal alien. And that's what got me involved and, and started looking at, you know, the statistics. And, you know, where Tom certainly tries to keep them out, and Art was involved in trying to do that too, I get it at the back end. We get it when the victim has, the crime has occurred. And we have a victim that, you know, we're trying to help the family because their child, spouse, grandparent, whatever, has been, you know, typically killed um, is, is what ends up happening. You know, trying to find numbers on how many people is, is almost impossible because 
a lot of the crimes aren't even, uh, they never even try to determine if the person's illegal. For example, you know, I live right outside the city of Los Angeles. In 1979, uh, the city of Los Angeles created what they call Special Order 40. And Special Order 40 basically forbids the police or law enforcement from determining whether the person who's now committed a crime is here illegally. Um, now, they, there's, you know, they have certain openings, but so how many people that have committed crimes just in Los Angeles in the last, what's that, 44 years, do we not even you know, know committed the crime? But if you look at numbers, I mean, a good place to look is the you know, GAO issues a report. They've issued, I guess, three of them in the last uh, 18 years where they talk about criminal alien crime. And again, they're looking at it from the back end. These, these are people now that are in jail, have been identified as being here illegally, and have committed crimes. So just to give you one number out of that, this is the 2016 report, which covered maybe four or five years. The people in jail, here illegally, were responsible for over 33,000 homicides, manslaughter convictions, that's just one little time. And, th and that number, you read the report constantly in the report, they're reminding everybody that that's a minimum number because a lot of people aren't caught. They leave the country. They don't spend the amount of time in jail that you need to to, to qualify. So the, the numbers are outrageous. I mean, you're talking about crimes during that period in the millions. So you start bringing in you know, two and a half million people um, that we know of, and another million and a half, probably now closer to two million, maybe since they announced that number. You know, even if it's a small percentage, it's a lot of crime. And you know, I was devastated to read that story. And as you say, you know, a, a crime happens to to an individual. So statistics are one thing, but we're talking about real lives. Um, Tom, we hear Secretary Mayorkas say things from time to time that are a little hard to believe, like the border is secure. And one thing he keeps saying is that aliens refused asylum will be swiftly placed into removal proceedings. It's not an exact quote. And then presumably, if they don't get asylum, deported. Is that true? And if it's not, how would you make it true? Well, first of all, if Mallorca's lips are moving, he's lying. <laughs> Bottom line. You know, I, the, the man is, is, is lied to the American people. He lies under oath. And he needs to be impeached. He should have been impeached a year ago. And Republicans need to get to the game and get it done. But look, the other day I, I watched the hearing and he, kept, he wouldn't answer the question about how many illegal aliens had been removed of, of those that crossed the border illegally. That number is pretty close to zero because I talked to leadership in ICE. I'm not going to say who they are if they end up getting fired, but I got a lot of friends at ICE. But here's what's happening that people don't understand. Why are they being released? Why are we back to catch and release? Why aren't they being detained like Art said they legally should be? Because if you look at the immigration Court. If you look at the data to last 10 years immigration court, it says you said 85% fail, it's actually about 87. So nearly nine out of 10 people who claim asylum never get relief from US courts because they either don't qualify or they don't show up. So they get order of removal. So why aren't they detained? Well, go to the Homeland Security Lifecycle Report, the Secretary's own report, and it says this. If you're in ICE detention, you get order of removal, you're removed 99% of the time. But if you're not in detention, like a family group, you get order of removal, you leave 6% of the time. So they know exactly what they're doing by not detaining people in an ice bed. They know nine out of, this administration has got the same data points I have. Nine out of 10 will fail, but if they're not detention, they won't leave. And if ICE does happen to find one, what does the secretary Mayorkas said on record? 
being in the country illegally on its own isn't enough for ICE to effect an arrest. So they set the plan up to, to let thousands of millions and millions in, but they can't be removed. But I'll make you this promise. Under the next administration, these millions of people being unlawfully released in the United States, that 9 out of 10 will lose your case, don't get comfortable. We're going to come look for you. Because if you don't execute the judge's order, then due process means nothing. You, the left can't keep saying they have a right to claim asylum. They have a right to due process. Okay. Right. But when that due process ends in a judge's order, it has to be executed or, or, or there's no, it, it, the system just should be blown up. And shut down the immigration courts. If the immigration court order doesn't mean anything, then shut them down too. This is their plan. But let me add this one thing about the, the it, when you get an order removal and it's not executed, what happens? Um, let me tell you, as ICE director, I even take phone calls from Republicans say, why'd you remove that man? He has two USC kids. Why would you do that? He didn't have two USC kids when he entered illegally and violated lost his country. He didn't have two USC kids when his order moved. Now that he went hiding at two USC kids, now he's immune. Now the quarter means nothing. This is why when they're in detention, average length of, deta average length of detention, is less than 40 days. They will see a judge before 40 days because immigration court prioritizes detention cases. When you're released, you're looking at five to seven years, maybe a decade in New York City. And during that time, they'll build equities. They'll buy a home. They'll have USC kids. And it makes it more difficult to remove them, which is exactly why they're not detaining them. Well, and I do think it's always important to stress that this is not an immigration good, immigration bad conversation. I'm an immigrant. I know many immigrants. This country was founded and built by immigrants. It's a question of the rule of law and having a system, and as you say, of having laws that enforce Well, I'll go one step further than that. You know, a lot of people attack me. Tom Holmes is racist. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not anti-immigrant. I'm anti-illegal immigration because of what happens to these people on the southern border. Look, people say Biden administration, they're much more humane than the Trump administration. Oh, really? When you make a promise to the most vulnerable people in the world, you can enter the country legally, you're going to be released, we'll, we'll, we'll transport you to any city you want, you can get a work visa for the next five, seven, ten years, and even if you get order removed, no one's looking for you because ICE can't arrest you, the most vulnerable people in the world are going to take you up on those promises. They're going to put themselves in the hands of criminal cartels. Since Joe Biden's been president, we got over 1,700 migrants have died on U.S. soil, an historic record. Over 100,000 Americans have died from fentanyl overdose, an historic record. Number of women and children sex trapped across the border, an historic record. Criminal cartels make more money than they've ever made. Number of non-inspected terrorists crossing the border, historic record. Don't tell me these policies are humane. They're killing aliens, they're killing Americans at record numbers. And I want to get a little bit more into the, the detail because we realize the system is not working the way it's supposed to. But Art, can you tell us how is it supposed to? How does the asylum process work? And in theory, how should someone be removed if they have had due process? And like Tom was saying, 87% don't ultimately get it. And I think the, the larger question would be to talk about the backlogs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, right now there are 792,000 pending asylum cases, affirmative asylum cases at USCIS. Those are people who are not in proceedings. They're applying for asylum, uh, and an asylum officer in a non-confrontational interview determines whether or not they should be granted asylum. 792,000. That's more people than you have living in San Francisco and in Seattle. On top of that, there are 700 and 99,000, I believe is the number, asylum claims currently pending in the immigration courts. 
Uh, and even that number is a canard. One of the things that the Biden administration has done in the interest of due process, and I can actually explain to you why they get into the due process, and that one's crazy, or uh, prosecutorial discretion, is to dump cases that are perfectly legitimate. Almost 92,000 cases before the immigration courts last year should have gone forward, should have reached a resolution. The Biden administration simply terminated them and sent them over to USCIS, which is already overwhelmed, uh, to you know, have their asylum claims there. Joe Biden talks a lot. You hear you know, Karine Jean-Pierre and uh, Secretary Mayorkas and various other people. The, Biden, or the Trump administration dismantled the immigration system. Tom, you've heard that, <laughs> Don. Um, this is crushing the immigration system. The immigration system actually works perfectly well. You go to court, you put on your evidence, there's a government attorney, the government attorney you know, offers evidence, cross-examination, judge makes a decision. As Tom said in detention, 40 days is the average. Uh, and that was pretty much what I did when I was a judge. When those folks are not in custody, the average time that it takes from an application to a hearing is four years plus. It's about four years and 27 days right now. And that's on average. Some of those cases take 10, 12 years. More than one judge will end up handling them. Trial attorneys will retire, but it gets worse. The Biden administration in certain cases is no longer even sending a government attorney to court to argue those cases. This is exceptional. Anybody who's ever been to court of law you know, in a criminal case, the prosecutor's like, never mind, we're not going to show up. You just do what you want to do. That puts the judge in the position of both being judge and prosecutor. That's untenable and it's unfair. So, you know, they've truly turned this entire system, Congress has written, into kabuki theater. That's all it is. It's a show. It's shadow play. Uh, and truly, Simon, they are crushing this system. They're crushing the agents on the line. They're crushing the uh, ICE attorneys uh, in the country. Uh, they're crushing the ICE officers who are supposed to go out. It's going to be very difficult for any future administration to undo this. Not impossible, but difficult. Yeah, I, you can't say impossible because I'm going to come back to that and I hope <laughs> uh, for a little optimism from you. But uh, I just want to go back to one thing that, that Don said about this um, uh, local order in, in Los Angeles. We hear a lot about sanctuary cities, about local governments, cities, states that sort of take the moral higher ground and say, we're not going to help. What's the practical impact of a city saying that we're not going to help federal law enforcement do their jobs and deport criminal aliens, some, some of whom have some pretty horrific records? Well, the impact is the, the people that they let out commit more crimes. I mean, you're talking, there was just an article in the LA Times maybe a week ago, and they were, the article was that, um, and the city council was boasting that there were like 782, um, um, what do you call it? Uh, you know, you hand a, I'm losing my train of thought here. You get an order, detainer, yes, sorry, thank you. There were 782 detainers filed in LA in 2022. Now, first, that's an incredibly low number because the Biden administration is not filing detainers. So these people are criminals. I mean, they're bad criminals. And they're boasting that not one of them was adhered to. So they let 782 people go just in one year that, you know, that are hardened criminals, serve time, most of them in jail, 
Well, the recidivism rates are, you know, up in the 60s, 70 percent. So they're going to commit more crimes. And what makes it even worse is that, and this is all over the country, but it's particularly bad in California, is that the people don't know that there's people in their cities committing crimes that are there illegally because they don't talk about it. I mean, all these things, you know, they were talking about busing people. The city went crazy when they bust 42 people. And, oh, what are we going to do? How are we going to handle this? Of course, never mentioning, and all of this, only 42, probably not too many criminals there. There's got to be 200,000 people that have gone to Los Angeles, maybe some in other areas of California, since Biden took office of the people that they've released. So between you know, 200,000 people, if, if only 1% of them commit a crime, that's 20,000 people committing crimes. Do we need that? Do we need 20, you know? <laughs> well, 20,000. Well, let me, if I could, this is important. The message from the left that sanctuary, sanctuary cities make it possible for law enforcement to work with the immigrant community because victims and witnesses of a crime won't come forward if they know the law enforcement's working with ICE. That's garbage. That is a lie. It's untrue. Because what sanctuary city basically means is ICE is locked out of the jail. Now, the Biden administration said they want to prioritize their criminals, but they won't let us into jail. ICE wants access to the jail, where that bad guy's already been locked up by the local authorities. Apparently, he's a public threat, or he's an, or, or, or at risk of, of, of escaping. He's locked up. They already made a decision to lock him in a jail cell. That's the person ICE wants to talk to. We don't want to talk to the victim or witness. We want to talk to the bad guy. To, to, to say that is victims and witnesses will be afraid to come to law enforcement if ICE is in the jail, most immigrant communities, other than a lot of them being in the country illegally, most are law-abiding. They're, they're trying to support their families. They don't want criminals in any neighborhoods either. Yep. So, when, so when you don't work with ICE and the, and the jail releases that uh, illegal alien criminal back in the community, he's going to likely reoffend the community in which he lives. That's where MS-13 operates. And you think a victim and witness want the bad, bad guy back in their neighborhood, the victim and witness? Certainly they don't. What, and what's that uh, sanctuary policy do? ICE is going to do their job. If they can't arrest a bad, bad guy in the safety of the jail, they're going to go to the neighborhood and find them, where they're probably going to find others, others that weren't even on their radar. So sanctuary cities put the immigrant community at greater risk of crime because the bad guy's going back to the neighborhood. It puts them at greater risk of ICE arrest because ICE is probably going to find others when to find that guy. I Any person that says sanctuary cities are a good thing, I'd ask them to do one thing. Go to a community meeting in the immigrant community and ask them a simple question. Would you rather have ICE in the jail or in your neighborhood? What do you think they're going to say? So this whole argument, sanctuary cities protect the victim witness is a bunch of crap. Sanctuary cities are sanctuaries for criminals, bottom line. And I just, I, 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 I never have Tom and me on a panel if you want to keep any sense of order. But we've actually done studies in which we've shown that you know the assertion that non-cooperation with ice makes people more likely to go to the authorities it's an utter canard it's just not true it's not based on anything and you know tom had alluded earlier to guidelines that secretary mayork has put out september 2021 that direct the 6000 ice agents there aren't many uh, ice ice officers in the united states you know, how they're allowed to question, not even arrest, whether they can even question somebody. They have to consider mitigating and aggravating factors. And among the, you know, the aggravating factors of the crime, how bad was the crime? The mitigating factors include community involvement, whether removal is going to adversely affect some member of the uh, community, and 
whether anybody in the, in the uh, person's family has ever worked for the federal government. Respectfully, and I got nothing against the Postal Service, I love them, they bring me my stuff every day. You know, if you are a 65-year-old child sex offender who volunteers uh, at a preschool and coaches Little League and your kid works for, you know, the Social Security office, why, why are those positive factors? But it's worse than that, I will cut it short because I, I know we're short mm -hmm. on time. Secretary Mayorkas, and you can look this up, I'm not making this up, directed ICE not to go after people who engage in domestic violence. Domestic violence is a crime that cuts across race, religion, uh, uh, socioeconomic group. It's just a problem. I was a judge. Tom was an agent. We'll tell you, you know, how prevalent and how awful domestic violence is. There's actually a provision in the INA that says directly go after domestic uh, abusers. And yet, Mayorkas said hands off because that may make it less likely that the victim goes to the police. If that is not the most paternalistic load of hooey I've ever heard out of this administration, I don't know what is. I apologize. Well, that's, if I can, I want to, because people have to know about this. It's amazing that it's gotten almost no publicity. In Cal California, has had sanctuary law for quite a few years now. And even in as crazy as we are in California, there are some exceptions that you can, you know, you still cooperate with ICE in California law. The county of San Mateo in May, and anybody can look this up, just passed an ordinance that you cannot cooperate, no one in San Mateo County can cooperate with ICE, even in the cases of child molestation, rape, and murder. And it passed four to one. And, and you know, child molestation recidivism rate is about as close to 100% as you can get. And they want to release those people back into the county. I would be more surprised if we hadn't seen rogue prosecutors in big cities with the same basic philosophy. Um, but I don't think if you commit a crime domestically, uh, if you go out and you know, murder somebody, that they're going to say, well, you have a, you know, a, an uncle who's in, in the post office. It doesn't seem to be a, a thing that applies across the board. Um, it's real. Yeah, I, it's, I'm always surprised, e even doing what I do. I think the budget for ICE for the next year set the target at 30,000. <laughs> Uh, criminal aliens only, Tom. Did I read that right? Does that mean that they are not going to make an effort to deport anyone who has a final order for removal? And I believe there's one, what, 1.2 million of those? Well, look, like I said before, you know, unless you're convicted of aggravated felony, um, being in the country legally, according to my orders, isn't illegal, and ICE can't look for them. You got to wait till they commit an aggravated felony, which is too late. There's nothing in the INA, and Art can back me up, there's nothing in the INA says, you got to commit yet another crime, a serious crime, to be here unlawfully. Look, if, if, if they're in the country legally, I should be able to arrest them and remove them before they commit a crime. But they, they're asking for less ICE detention beds for one reason only. Could I explain it already? If they're not detained in a nice bed, chances are they're never leaving. Matter of fact, they, they want to go to alternatives to detention. Now, the alternatives to detention in my day was you, first opportunity you detain, because detain has the most success. You're guaranteed you see a judge within 40 days, and de depending on the, the decision of the court, they either get released or, or they're deported. It works well. 
but we can't detain a million people. So we had alternative detention when they had an ankle bracelet. They had some sort of GPS tracking system. But they destroyed, this administration destroyed that. GPS capability's been taken out. They're awarding ATD to these NGO groups. And, and, and I was told by a good source that, I'm gonna name her, Claire McNulty at ICE, who, who's taken control of most of the detention operations and ATD operations, had a conference call the other day talking about turning the ATD program over to NGOs and take it out of the government's hands to keep the promise they made to their base. So ATD is not going to be effective like the, the ISAP program where they had G, uh, GPS capability. They had great success, like 90% show up in court. Now people say, well, what does that lead to removal? People need to understand when you show up in court and you actually get an order removal in person, that removes an appeal they'll give later because I can't tell how many times when, when ICE finds them, well, I never got the order. They sent it to the wrong address. But when they show up in court, it says a good thing because that, that means they were there when they got an order and, and they can't make that appeal that never got served. ATD is a great complement to detention. Detention should always be first, but we can't detain everybody, so ATD is an option. But only if it's run by law enforcement agency with GPS capability and there's constant check-ins. They're even tearing apart the ATD capability. When you, why would they take GPS capability away? Because they don't want to find them. This administration has just went nuts. And as far as detention, in the years, two years of historic illegal immigration, millions of illegal entries, ICE has the lowest numbers of removals in, in detention and arrests in the history of the agency. It should be the complete opposite. Again, by design. ICE officers, ERO officers, first of all, the, the latest uh, budget bill from House, they're not funding more ERO officers. Shame on them. It's a pretty good bill. But millions of people being released that 90% get order removed, and you're not going to give ICE the capability to arrest these people? Again, if there's no consequence, there's no deterrence. They're going to keep coming, and they're just going to hide out if ICE isn't looking for them and wait for the next giveaway. They're going to wait for the next amnesty. They're going to wait for the next DACA. Today's family groups, today's UACs crossing the border are tomorrow's DACA, mark my word, unless Congress takes this seriously. Enter this country illegally is a crime. And when a federal judge orders you removed, he needs to leave. We spend billions of dollars a year on border security and detention and immigration courts. If we don't execute the final orders, the final decision of an immigration judge, then the system is never going to work. The system is never going to be fixed. And I, I couldn't agree more. And I, I think we can't lose track of that thread that runs through it all. It is by design. It, it is policy. It's not just that the system is overwhelmed and it's broken. And there's a deliberate policy. So and I've asked, me, just one closing yeah. mark, I've asked, I've met with people on the Hill. They need to have oversight hearings on what's going on with detention, what's going on ATD, what's going on with all these sole source contracts of the NGOs. There's, 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 sole source contracts has to be justified. There has been billions of dollars of sole source contracts awarded without competition. So, you know, these companies in the United States, they want to compete too and give the government the best price for the best product. But there's been constant sole source awards in the billions of dollars Congress, uh, uh, Homeland Security Oversight needs to have hearings. How is this happening? What's happening to detention? What's happening to ATD? How are these billions of dollars going to NGOs that are transporting illegal aliens to the United States? And outside of ICE, because you can put a hotel room and you can put an alien hotel room at three, five hundred bucks a night, or you can put them in an empty ice bed. There's thousands of empty ice beds <laughs> at about $117 a night. We have medical and dental 24-7. You have legal access. 
these are facilities that got the highest attention standards in the industry, but you're gonna put them in a hotel room. At three times the cost, there needs to be oversight hearings of what this administration has done. Well, it's $8 million a day, I think, is just New York City alone. I mean, so cities and states are paying that tab. Art, just, just to go back to my imaginary scenario of a president who wants to enforce the law and appoints officials who want to enforce the law, how would we ramp up the asylum and removal process? Has there been any kind of historical precedent where we could get through these cases, get through due process without uh, depriving anyone of it, um, and increase the numbers of people who are eventually deported or given protection, whichever they end up with? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I alluded uh, before to the fact that about 890,000 people who were apprehended at the southwest border have been released on parole. Under the parole statute, the Secretary of Homeland Security could terminate parole at any time. You know, you could have Tom Homan, Secretary of Homeland Security, come in and just wipe out 890,000 uh, parole grants. Under the parole statute, those people all have to return to custody and all return to the status that they had. They can all be moved out through expedited removal because they are you know, in the eyes of the law, still standing at the border of the United States. That's what parole does. With respect to ramping up uh, the number of uh, immigration judges, we only have, you know, about 600 immigration judges in the United States handling a docket, you know, of two million. Uh, and you can do the numbers yourself and you can figure that out. It's a great job. I mean, uh, I sure do still enjoy the pension that I get from it. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> You know, it, but I mean, it's, you know, when done correctly, it's a very good job. With respect to detention, you know, Tom had alluded to it before. There are county jails out there. There are uh, state facilities that sit empty. Those uh, places are willing to take 140 bucks a night to detain people. That's what York County, Pennsylvania did. That's why those people were in my court. And I can assure you, because I would walk through those halls, I would work out in the uh, gym at the prison. I, uh, you know, I had a great interaction with most of the people detained there and all of the guards. And you know, there were no abuses like you hear. Oh, it's the most horrible thing. It wasn't. Um, and you know, it seems harsh, but that's what the law says. If Congress thinks the law is harsh, change the law. Uh, but you know, good luck uh, enforcing it. It can be done, but absolute silver bullet that would nip all of this in the bud is e-verify. E-verify is an elect mandatory e-verify. E-verify is an electronic uh, system uh, that will, in real time, verify the employment authorization of anybody who's coming to work. Under law since 1986, uh, you have to prove that you are authorized to work in the United States within three days of you starting work. We all know this. You bring in your Social Security card and your driver's license. That's what it's for. That was never uh, put on an electronic system because we didn't have electronic systems in 1986. And in the 1990s, when they came along, they didn't want to fire a bunch of people who processed INS paperwork. So it was never a system then. The Bush administration and even the Obama administration uh, you know, improved that E-Verify system. It can be done very quickly. If you can't work, you're not going to stay. That's just the way that it is. Mandatory E-Verify, we see Governor DeSantis uh, has moved to that. Uh, in Florida, we see uh, a lot of other governments that are moving toward mandatory E-Verify in their states. That's the way that you actually address this huge population we're talking about.
I'm, I'm just going to sidestep a little bit to, to go back to the enforcement memo that we talked about that Mallorca's has signed, where basically they don't go after uh, people who are just here illegally. And I was looking at the statistics. I think there's something like 5 million people on what they call the non-detained docket, so people who are in the process. About 1.2 million of them have actual final orders of removal. And as Tom says, when you have an order, if a judge gives an order and you don't carry it out, you know we're a banana republic. We've actually got to follow through <laughs> with what, what judges do. And if you work out that there are about 400,000 of those people, so about 10% on the non-detained docket, are criminals, people with criminal records. So they're people who would be, you would think, a priority, about 10%. This is not a technical question, but Don, do you think Secretary Mayorkas, who is a husband and father and has family and lives in a community, does he understand the risk that he's asking his fellow Americans to run by leaving those 400,000 people here? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've, I, you know, I, we always looked at cases, you know, like my case and, you know, the thousands of them, that we were collateral damage to a system that wanted to bring in people into the country illegally. And now you see, okay, you've got the 400,000. What do you think they're gonna do? But the proof of that is all that now even the people that are coming here illegally are considered collateral damage because of all the ones that are being die, that are being, you know, that are dying on their way here, all the rapes, all the crimes that are, I mean, he doesn't care about that either because it's just a, it's a game of numbers. And the more people we can let in, we're willing to sacrifice other people. He has to know, well, first of all, he doesn't know that. Obviously, he should, should have never been in the office. I've met him. He's a sick person, but he's not a stupid person. He's an evil person, and he has a mentality that it's good for the country, maybe it's good for him, it's good for the politicians on the left side to allow any number of illegal aliens in the, into the country. And certainly, you know, if you're a criminal from anywhere in the world, this is the best time to come to the United States. <laughs> so they're coming because it's so easy to get in. Yeah, that's, it's terrifying, but, it, but it's true. It never has been easier. I think we have um, some time left. I wanted to get some, some questions from the audience. And then at the end, I'll give you all just a minute to wrap up if you had any final comments. Uh, sir. Specifically, Mr. Arthur, um, if you were you're talking about um, e-verify and mandatory e-verify, something that we've come across a lot, and I mean, I'm sure you know about this too, is a lot of parolees, people who've been paroled in through the lawful um, programs, but also just released from the border, most of them with a parole term of one year or more, they can just get work authorization. So you have millions of people the administration has let in who are illegal aliens with the legal right to work. And they have employment authorization documents. How do you address that? Yeah, and that's actually a key problem, Mr. Capuana. Um, it's important to understand why we have immigration laws to begin with. And you can actually go through the statute uh, in the first ground of inadmissibility, 212A1, 236, uh, or 212A1 is medical. That's like the ER the immigration law. If you have tuberculosis, you can't come to the United States ever since the uh, 1880s. But you get all the way up to Section 212A5 of the INA, which is the provision uh, that says nobody can come to the United States to work unless the Secretary of Labor has verified that that person's employment isn't going to adversely affect the wages and working conditions of Americans. The Biden administration couldn't care less about the wages and working conditions of Americans. And they will tell you, oh, you know, you can, we need labor. 
The labor participation rate in the United States tanked in 2008, and it's never come back. Part of the reason why we have so many people that are dying of fentanyl, part of the reason why there are so many domestic violence cases, part of the reason why you have so many DUIs and so many other things is you have a population of working age, particularly men, but women too, who aren't working. They are going to fill their time with things that are not good for our society. Respectfully, and I'm not telling anyone how to uh, live their lives, but a steady job and a monogamous relationship are the two greatest civilizing factors in the life of a man. And I'm just talking about males in this situation. If you have to get up and go to work and take care of your family, you're not going to you know, be out doing drugs all night long. You are driving those people, you are driving American workers, and by that I mean not just uh, citizens, but uh, lawful uh, immigrants out of the workforce, they are going to engage in all of those things that erode our society. So yeah, I, but completely heedless, not only of how the world works, but what the law says. Uh, I think in the blue and then the gentleman in front, so. Blue? That's yeah. you, sir. I, I'm, 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 uh, I have noticed, even among law students, I have noticed, even among law students, uh, that they do not believe that there are major confounding factors in tracking crime rates by immigration status. For example, there are a number of studies banded about saying that uh, uh, natural born citizens commit crime at this rate per 100,000, uh, legal immigrants at this rate per 100,000, and the lowest rate is illegal immigrants per 100,000. I see a lot of confounding factors. For example, uh, illegal immigrants would pr probably shy away from law enforcement and therefore not have their crimes recorded or at least their convictions recorded. Yeah, th th let me, Tom and I probably both want to jump on this one. <laughs> I do too, so. Oh, well, <laughs> maybe I'll let Don go first. Okay, I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that, that statistic that illegal aliens commit less crime than the native born. I know of one crime they committed. They killed my son. If they weren't here, he would be alive. I wouldn't be sitting here. So I don't give a damn whether they commit more or less crimes. You're right. There's a lot of studies that are done. Um, I know the, the, you know, the, the Cato is the big one that's always out there. They commit less crimes. They commit less crimes. And I know your guys at CIS basically debunk that. But it does, it's, irre it's totally irrelevant. The number of crimes illegal aliens should commit is zero. That's the important number. And it, it you know, it, like I said, t it, should I feel better when somebody says to me, and I'm not accusing you of saying that, so you know, please don't take it personally, but I've had that said to me a lot. Well, I'm so sorry. Look, I just testified two weeks ago at a House Judiciary Committee hearing. And every single Democrat, although they wouldn't ask me any questions, they all started out with, we're so sorry for your loss. And what I should have said is, no, you're not. Because if you were, you wouldn't continue doing what you're doing. And I did have an incident where I ran into Elizabeth Warren, uh, I think it was 2017, in the hallways in Congress. And I happened to be, I had a big picture of my son. We were visiting various congressmen to talk to him. And I kind of, we kind of walked by each other, and I, you know, she obviously has no idea who I am. And I said, oh, Senator Warren. And we stopped, and I showed her the picture of my son, and you can imagine he looks 
somewhat like me. And when I said to her, my son was a dreamer. And, you know, she took a little like, okay. I said, but he was killed by an illegal alien. And she said, oh, I'm so sorry for your loss. And I said, no, you're not. And she went ballistic and started screaming at me that, you don't know what's in my heart. And my response was, I don't care what's in your heart. I care about your actions. And that's the problem. These people, they say that, they don't mean it one bit. That's their, that's their excuse for, yeah, we're sorry your son's dead, but no, there is no but. And uh, you know, to uh, Don's point, to your point too, we don't really know how many crimes or what the criminality rate for uh, illegal aliens, people here unlawfully, is. We just don't because Ed, uh, Tom and Don both alluded to, a lot of uh, jurisdictions just don't ask the question. We have no idea. And so they're going to get lumped in with the native-born crime rates. But again, to Don's point, the one thing that we do know is alien criminals commit crime. And that's sort of a trite phrase, but I can quantify it. GAO did a uh, study a few years back, I think it was probably nine years now, that talked about the rate of recidivism for alien criminals. The rate of recidivism for alien criminals, each one was arrested about seven times. In fact, I think it was eight. I don't want to say eight, but I think it was eight times, you know, in addition to the one uh, that, for which they'd been arrested. So again, and you know, you talk about the most serious crimes: um, domestic violence, child molestation, and DUI are all crimes that are subject to repetition, to recidivism. You can ask any law enforcement professional; they're going to tell you the average person drives drunk 90 times before they are actually arrested for driving drunk. So when you don't, in fact, for what it's worth, I'll blow your mind. Drunk driving's not even a ground of removability. If you've got a green card, you could have 40 DUIs and nothing's going to happen to you. Now, there is a provision that allows habitual drunkards uh, to uh, not receive certain benefits, and I've had that argument and accepted it in the past. But, you know, this is, the, you know, again, with respect to any of these studies, the answer is always the one that Don gave. If you're a criminal, you shouldn't be here. We've got plenty of homegrown criminals in the United States. Mm -hmm. And you know, if I go to your house and I say, hey, this is a great vase and throw it on the ground, you're gonna throw me out. If I, I come to the United States, if I go to France and I violate their laws, I'm expecting France is gonna throw me out. And that's the same rule we should follow here. If I, I just, I'm not gonna get in the weeds on the Cato study, which is deeply flawed. But there has been a great reporting on that, a deep dive in that. It shows how deeply flawed it is. I think Heritage actually did it. Hans, right? What's Hans' last name? Hans Spakoski. Look it up. Because he did a deep dive in this. He'll show you that, that it was deeply flawed. And, and, and for the numerous reasons, we can't count on that study. I agree with Don. Every crime committed by illegal alien is preventable crime if we secure the border. I think we just have time for the gentleman's question. I'm a Peter Humphrey, an intelligence analyst and a former diplomat. It seems pretty easy to imagine Al-Qaeda or ISIS or the Iranian intelligence service uh, viewing this loophole as a, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to move a sleeper cell into the U.S. And 
if in fact there was another terrorism spectacular, is that enough to finally shut this down? Well, let me address her real quick, because I've been all over this for the past year, and my good friend Mark Morgan, who was the CBP commissioner, we've been pushing this for over a year and a half. This is, what's happening on the border isn't about immigration anymore. It's about border security. When this administration causes a crisis this big that overwhelms the border patrol, bad people get in. Because they're criminal cartels, they'll push 200 family groups to a certain area, knowing that the very few agents left on the border are going to seize that humanitarian issue. And that's when they move the fentanyl across. That's when they're going to move known suspected terrorists across. That's when they're going to move gang members across. That's when they're going to traffic women and children. The criminal cartels of Mexico control our border. We, the United States government doesn't have operational control of the southern border anymore. The strongest nation on the earth doesn't have control of the southern border. Criminal cartels do, and Joe Biden, this administration, gave it to him. Here's what you need to understand. There's over 1.7 million known gotaways because they create these gaps on the border. 1.7 million gotaways. Border patrols arrested people from 170 different countries. Many of these countries are sponsors of terror. They've arrested over 200 people on the, on the uh, FBI uh, screening database. Over 200, I think it's like 247. That's what they arrested. If you don't think a single one of that 1.7 million didn't come from a country sponsoring terror, didn't come here to do us harm, then you're an idiot. This scares the hell out of me. This, I said it before, this is the biggest national security fury this country's ever seen. Me and Mark Morgan had a conversation before we came in here. What's it gonna take? Is it going to take another terrorist act where thousands of Americans are killed between, before this Congress and this administration takes border security seriously? This is a national security failure. I guarantee you, I can't tell you how many terrorists have crossed the border in this administration, but someday we're going to find out, and it's going to be a bad day for America, and this was preventable. And, you know, to your point, I've been doing this for... 32 years. I've been doing this so long that I was a national security advisor with respect to immigration to Janet Reno. Uh, you know, I was the uh, staff director for the National Security Subcommittee. I was the chief terrorist prosecutor for the INS. If you look at what's going on right now and you go back to September 11th, it's amazing. In fact, in the 9-11 report, uh, the commission wrote, in the decades before September 11th, border security wasn't considered to be a component of national security. Yep. You read that's page 388 to 389 of the 9-11 report. Read that and consider the implications. With respect to Tom's point, all of the people that I talk to, the intel officials, I'm sure he does, say it's not a question of whether, it's a question of when at this point, because there's so little security. Hey, look, we haven't in 18 years, we haven't even been able to get Real ID implemented, all you, a new license, and it's and and as you mentioned, it showed in your you know in your opening presentation, I need a license or a passport to get on a plane, but these people don't. It would be a miracle if there's not some. And remember, the last hearing, the Secretary Marcus couldn't even tell members of Congress how many people on terrorist watch list have been arrested and where they're at today. And, and I think the last stat I saw was well over 10,000 uh, People's Republic of China nationals yep. had come in, and last year it was like 1,000. So that's a fairly large increase. And you know, if, if I were going to try to infiltrate people in, one or two, that's where that's Well, look, he, he, this is important. After 9-11, you know, we created all these databases, right? So if someone tries to get a visa or someone tries to get a plane ticket in the United States, you're vetted through all these databases, intelligence databases, even DOD databases. 
And it worked. You know, the, 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 the visa security program prevented thousands of people with derogatory information from getting a visa. But why would any terrorist put himself in a position to get a plane ticket or a visa knowing he'll be vetted when he can simply go to Mexico <laughs> and cross the border and get away like 1.7 million others did? This is, a, again, I'll keep pounding it, big national security failure that we're going to pay the price for someday. I hate to leave it on that note, but uh, I think uh, the, the sunrise, the optimism is, is off in the future. But if, if we ever do get an enforcement-minded administration, uh, I think you three gentlemen can contribute a lot to the effort. We will. And it's coming. <laughs> and uh, and I, I'm really... <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to come today and to, to share your, your ideas and answer questions. And I want to thank all of you in the audience and who are watching for attending today.